Well, it's great to see all of you. Uh, we're continuing our sermon series on Romans. So we finished Romans 1 through 11 last fall. Now we're picking up on Romans 12, right? Because 12 comes after 11. Good. We're on our math game today. Awesome. Um, this is an amazing passage of scripture. And one of the words that comes up in, in the beginning of it is this word conformity. And I want to start with a little discussion about that. When did you first encounter the concept of conformity? Like, when were you like, okay, I have to sort of shift something to make room for somebody else? Or I have to accept a social norm, or I have to kind of behave myself a little bit? Uh, for me, this was middle school. Anybody else realize something about conformity in middle school? Why am I getting such passionate head nodding from you guys? Because middle school is when you realize there is something called the cool kids. And the cool kids are a certain way. How did they get that way? Who told them they were the cool kids? I don't know. I missed that meeting because I was in that group of not cool kids, but the cool kids had their brands. They had their things. They had their stuff. Nike was a cool kid thing. I unfortunately chose Reebok shoes. So there you go, right? Conformity meant recognizing that there was an other and that there was a cost if you didn't want to roll up to that other. And we experience conformity in our neighborhoods. We experience conformity in our workplace, don't we? Like, go over here to make a copy and make sure you talk to this person and get that project approved and all those kinds of things. Conformity in and of itself isn't bad. It's kind of a social necessity. But transformation is also in our passage. Do not be conformed to this world, but instead be transformed. There is a chasm between conformity and transformation. Conformity is only skin deep. Conformity is just brands and social norms and all that, all that kind of stuff. Transformation goes much, much deeper. If you've ever uh, walked through a 12-step program, recovering from an addiction, or you've walked with someone who has, you know that the first step of that is admitting you have a problem. And there are things about your life that are not conforming. You're breaking some rules. Things are starting to break down. But the point of the 12-step journey is not name that thing. It's find transformation. Find a way through it. And I think that's what the Apostle Paul is leading this beloved congregation. What I pray for our beloved congregation is a step for us. We're going to move into a really simple thesis this morning that's going to help us understand how to walk between, through conformity and into transformation. So I have a two-word thesis. Are you ready for a two-word thesis this morning? I'm setting a record for shortest thesis statement ever. It's very simple. Surrender transforms. Surrender transforms. You want to say that with me? Surrender transforms. You can write that down. We are going to come back to that all throughout the morning. How's the echo back there? Are we doing okay? Sounding all right? Okay. We're just playing with the audio right now. Can you push the button that gives me a British accent? Okay, great. Let's do that. <laughs> Paul comes to the point in Romans 12 where he's making a turn. Romans 1 through 11. This is just introduction. We've talked a little bit about this. 1 through 11 is like a theological cathedral. It is this beautifully built incredible set of basic Christian truths that are anything but basic. And he's walked the church through these things that you might call like kind of intellectual goods. Like they got the goods now. They know that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's Romans 3. They know that the gift is not like the trespass. That's Romans 5. They know that nothing can separate them from the love of God. They got all this great stuff crammed into their brains, right? And Paul is wise enough and a sharp enough leader to know that having stuff crammed into your brain is not enough. It's never enough because it doesn't necessarily have to touch the heart. We talked about this last week, didn't we? We talked about head knowledge and heart knowledge and how we seek to be a people who are uniting those two things together. By the way, I'm not tooting my own horn. 
If you want to go back and listen to last week's sermon and you consider this your church home, I really hope you will. Because it's setting out a vision for us for this next year that I think is really compelling. It is certainly compelling for me. So go take a listen to that. Grab it off the podcast. The theme is we're moving from the shallows and into the deep waters. We're moving and helping our friends and neighbors far from Christ move from this kind of superficial, surviving, not thriving, just living in our heads into something far deeper and greater. And that's what Paul is telling the people that they really need to step into. So today... We're going to talk about how surrender is a key wheel, cog. We need to see God turning in our lives. I need this and you need this. So let's tune in now to these three headings that are there in your bulletin. I changed one of them. Okay, so the first one is still the same. Surrender to Christ. This is the first part. Second part, defying the world's mold. Not like moldy, but like being molded. And then the third one that I changed on you is just simply the will of God. So if you want to scratch out what's in there and just write the will of God, write that down. We will get to it in just a moment. I don't have my usual sippy cup today, so I forgot to take the lid off. Okay, let's walk through this text verse by verse. Turn with me to Romans 12 if you have your Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, there's a stack of them on the welcome table back there. You are welcome to grab one, take one home. Romans 12, starting in verse 1, we're just going to go through it verse by verse. It'll be up on the screen as well. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Packed with meaning. We could take apart each one of those phrases. The phrase that, in my mind, is at the very top, this is the apex, this is what we're climbing toward, is this phrase, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. We're going to focus in on that for just a little while. We're going to start with that first word, present, not present, present. When Paul writes present your bodies, he's using a word for present that means readiness, like to stand at the ready, like you are ready to go. He is almost kind of alluding to an image of troops in formation, ready to go into battle. You've got all your gear, your shoes are tied, you're tuned up, you have the training, you're ready. This makes a lot more sense when you think about the wider context of this letter. Paul's writing this letter to a church that happened to call the city of Rome home. And Rome was the cultural and political and spiritual center of the Roman Empire. It did not get any higher, any fancier, any cooler than living in Rome. The people in the church, therefore, were connected to some pretty important centers of power. Not only was the, Roman, the city of Rome kind of the center of the government where you would have rubbed elbows with emperors and people in very important positions of power, you would have seen generals walking through city streets. You would have seen battalions of soldiers. You would have seen business leaders, cultural leaders, spiritual leaders. And what do we do when we see somebody who has more power than us? We stand up a little taller, don't we? We present in accordance with that person's position and authority. That's at least what many of us do. The point I'm trying to make is we all know how to present, don't we? We all know how to present ourselves. At work, oh, this is so prevalent here on the east side. We want to present like, I'm kind of a big deal, but I'm not a big deal. Like, I'm kind of amazing, and I'm really good at my job. But but, no, 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 let's let's play it cool. Like, you don't have to treat me like that big of a deal, but you kind of do. Do we not experience this? Like, am I the only one in the room that has seen this? We totally do this. At work, we want to project like we are in control, even though we are panicking. 
at the weight of our jobs and responsibility and the people that are counting on us to come through every single day. We want our kids to present well, don't we? We want our kids to show up, to dress well, to behave themselves, to be polite, don't punch any holes in the wall, none of that. When Will was first born and we'd take him to church, the way that he would greet people was by saying, No! As loud as he possibly could. We didn't mind because we weren't worried about presenting him that well and it wouldn't have worked anyways. Don't we want our homes to present well? Don't we want people to walk into our homes and have this reaction of like, oh man, this is, this is a really cool house. I mean, it's cool. My house could probably be cooler. I'm going to borrow some of those ideas over there. I like what you've done with the paint there. There's this ideal for us and we are presenting in such a way that says we have achieved this ideal. This is not unique to the east side, but I think it's particularly strong over here. We all know how to play this game. It's the cool kids all over again. It's Nike, not Reebok. What Paul is saying to the church is, you're going to present. So present to the right person. Present to the standard that is actually going to bring you life. Present to the Caesar, to the leader, to the authority that will be life-giving to you and not suck the life out of you. Don't roll up to the commands of a leader, like Jesus said, whose only interest is to steal and kill and destroy. Remember when Jesus said this about the thief? Only coming to steal and kill and destroy. And Jesus says no. We present, we show that we're ready to God. Do present to Christ, don't roll up to the enemy. Okay, hold on. Now, some of us grew up in traditions where there were a lot of do's and don'ts. And for many of the people that we're friends with, that we're colleagues with, if you're a Christ follower, one of their chief objections to being a part of a church is how there are always lists in every church, right? Do this, don't do this, vote for this person, don't vote for this person, read this scholar, don't read this other one. We have all experienced the do's and don'ts of church. And that is a failure, and that is a sin that the church needs to be held accountable for. But I want to push pause before we go down the road of, look, you're talking about presenting. That's just another series of do's and don'ts. That's, that's just playing it cool. That's not a deep down transformation. True, it's not, except for the presence of sacrifice in the text. Paul doesn't just say, go present yourselves. Go look nice. That's the accusation the church has had, has it not? What does he continue? What does the rest of the passage say? If you have it in front of me, read it with me. Present yourselves as a living sacrifice. Say it with me, church. Living sacrifice. I was struck by this this morning. A living sacrifice ain't dead. Every other kind of sacrifice is dead, right? Every other kind of sacrifice. This is religious history 101. When you were involved in religion, when you were involved in one of the pagan religions of Rome, you offered sacrifices. You offered a sacrifice as a transactional way to make sure that whatever God you worshipped was okay with you. And you had to sacrifice your finest livestock or your best crop or any of these kind of things, right? This is part of being involved in a religion. The problem with that is if you offer something, even something incredibly valuable to you, it ain't you, which means you can distance yourself from it. You can sacrifice something that is not you And it won't cost you anything, really. You can keep it at a safe distance. What Paul is telling the people to do here is to tear down the distance that would be between them and Christ. Present yourselves as a living sacrifice. You're on the altar, church, every day. And the sacrifice won't kill you. It will bring you life. It may feel like death, but it is meant to bring you life. It is meant to bring the people around you life. 
Surrender transforms, and sacrifice is a key step in this process. When I was in seminary, I had a mentor who uh, was getting near retirement. He was further along in life. His name was John. John started his career as a pharmacist, and then he moved into healthcare, and he slowly moved up the chain at a variety of hospitals where we used to live. And by the time I met him, he had had a, a really incredible journey where he'd been able to be the president of a couple different hospitals, two in particular that he had really led to prominence, like hospitals that are making a big impact in these communities. He had done a really good job. He had a great track record. And he was nearing the end of his journey. He was nearing retirement. He was looking at it. He was ready to finish up. He had a great family. He had kind of a plan for finishing all this out. He was in good health, good marriage. And then he got a call from this hospital that was in crisis. It was a hospital that served predominantly a rural population, a historically underserved population of people. It was completely broken. This hospital had had five presidents in two years. Do the math. Five presidents, two years. Broken system. And so he's turning this over in his mind, and I'm sitting there on his back deck talking with him, and I remember hearing him say this. I'll never forget this, because there's so much peace in his voice that he said it. He said, I'm thinking about this job, and I really feel called to it. That hospital wanted him to come be their president, wanted him to be number six in two years. And he could have said no. He could have said, I got my thing. I got my comfortable life. I'm, I'm good. I don't need to do this. But instead, with just clarity in his voice, he said, I really feel called to it. What did he do? He surrendered. Yeah, he surrendered things that a lot of people long for. Retirement, job, good time with your family. He surrendered all of that to step into a total mess. He had one of the worst commutes I have ever heard of. He drove from clear across one part of the region we used to live in all the way across the other side. If you got a bad commute, this guy had the worst possible commute taking this job, and he did it. He sacrificed daily to go be the president of this hospital. One of the things he told me was that on Christmas Day, he and his wife walked around with a plate of candy and went to every person working at that hospital and said, thank you for working on Christmas. That's leadership. That's sacrifice. That's somebody who really gets a turnaround and making a place better. A few years in, they were healthy again. He had helped raise up someone to take his position. He had helped rebuild that organization and that staff, all because he was willing to surrender something that a lot of people long for. A lot of people can't conceive of retirement, right? But he was there, and he gave that up. He surrendered it because he felt called to it. What are you unwilling to surrender? What would just, oh man, it'd be like cutting off your arm if you surrendered this job that you've worked so hard for. If you surrendered the home that you had to scrape together every penny, and you bought it, and you're just barely hanging on to that mortgage payment. But if that was to be taken away from you, oof. The things that we most fear being taken away from us are often the strongest idols in our lives, even if they're good things. So what, church, are you unwilling to sacrifice? What would cost you dearly? I've been convicted lately that a sacrifice I'm needing to make more and more is my comfort, and especially in my marriage. We're 10 years in. We've had a great run. It's an awesome time to be married to Jill. I love it. I love her. I love our family. And I can be so addicted to my comfort and my little routines that are inconsiderate of her or inconsiderate of our family's changing needs. 
I need to sacrifice my comfort. I need to, a mentor of mine once told me that marriage is an act of hospitality. I need to make room in my life more and more for the needs of this person that I love so much. And that's 10 years in. And I got a lot to learn. We are continually in a position, church, where we need to surrender. It's not just, I got it, I checked that box, I surrendered, I'm good. There's something that God is asking you to surrender. Maybe it's a few minutes of your time in the morning or in the evening and reading over these beautiful statements of identity. Maybe that's it. Maybe your surrender just involves, I got a tight grip on my schedule and on my day and I just need to release it a little bit. So that's sacrifice, that's surrender. Now we're going to talk about this mold image. Breaking the mold. Where does this come from? This comes from verse 2. And I'm going to ask the team to put the Phillips version up on the screen for us. This is kind of like the message translation. This is verse 2. Don't let the world around you squeeze you into its own mold, but let God remold your minds from within. Let God remold your minds from within. What does that mean? The key question, you can write this down if you'd like, is what's conforming you? What is conforming me? To whom am I conformed? To conform is to assimilate or fashion in a way that's acceptable with a prevailing norm. What am I being asked to kind of shrink myself down to every day? When you have clarity about where you're being conformed, you'll have more clarity about where God desires for you to be transformed. You want to know where transformation needs to happen in your life? Think about where you are being conformed. Case in point, the Roman church was facing conformity in a powerful setting every single day. Does this sound familiar? The zenith of their civilization? They were in a place where everyone was looking at them going, man, y'all got it figured out over there in Rome. And they really didn't. But they were, being conf- they were looking around at their neighbors and going, are these the things that we need to be doing too? Are these the things that we need to be conformed to? Examples, entertainment. Entertainment in the city of Rome at this particular time was what? Going to the gladiator games. Watching people brutally tortured and murdered for entertainment. That's okay, right? Let's conform. That's what our neighbors are doing. Let's do it. There was a recreational, unfettered, whenever, whoever you want sexual ethic at the time. Wherever you wanted to go, however you wanted to do this, whoever you wanted to be with. In business, graft and corruption, exploitation, bribery. And this may be the worst thing. This is where I really hope we feel it in the heart. Even though Rome was considered to be the most powerful empire, the most incredible military force, they had it all figured out, they were building highways and aqueducts and all these kinds of things, it was on the backs of the poor and the marginalized. There was actually a hill just outside of Rome and outside of other cities in the Roman Empire as well where orphans were taken and just thrown on the ground, just discarded, where the marginalized were left to die, where those who were sick just throw them in the streets. I'm convicted that any time the church exists in a gilded city, a place of great blessing, it is even more incumbent upon us to look in the shadows, to look in the shadow of the most beautiful tower and the most beautiful parts of our city and say, there's somebody here. There's somebody here who's broken and hurting and we need to be with them and be for them or we are missing it as a church. That's exactly what the church did in Rome. They looked at all of these things that were standards, that were norms, that they could have been conformed to, and they didn't look at their neighbors in judgment and say, oh, you people. They said, you know, we've got a different way. We've got a different way. We are not going to follow the norms of our day. We're going to swim upstream. And I believe this is our calling today as well. 
Paul asks the church to take a hard look at who or what is conforming them, and then transformation can happen. My first couple of years here, I felt behind all the time. Can anybody relate to this? You feel like you're behind. There's a mountain of emails. There's a pile of phone calls. There's so many things, the sheer volume of things that I feel like come at me every single week just was overwhelming. And, you know, we came from a smaller context, and I was in a a different role there, so it was a little bit more manageable. But just this feeling of, I'm always behind, I'm always behind, I'm always behind. I'm probably making some of y'all's anxiety go up as I say this. I got my work done, but it was always the tyranny of the urgent. There was no time to reflect, and there was just so much to do. I was conforming. I, I really was. And I'm not saying that to beat myself up. I'm saying a relentless pace carries us along with it, does it not? But is that what we're called to? Is it, are we called to this place where we go like, oh, I'm just exhausted. I don't know what to do. I always feel behind. Here's what helped me make a turn. And may this be an encouragement to you, church. I started reading this sheet and other things like it to remind me of who I really am. I'm not just somebody who's supposed to run on a treadmill. I'm not just a talking head responding to emails. I would read beautiful things like, I have, a peace, I have peace with God. That's Romans 5.1. Or I would read, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. When I felt overwhelmed, when I felt beat down. And what I learned over time was that those things aren't just things that I read and they stay up here. The scriptures in particular have the power to get into our hearts and change us so that we're not just conforming, so that we're thriving, so that God's transformation is coming into play. I've told you all this story before, but it was a really profound moment for me after praying and reflecting. I don't know how long I'd been doing this, but I'd been sitting with these truths for a while. And I was out for a run last winter, and there's this hill near my house where I can look out, and I can see the Cascades, and it's just this really beautiful clearing. And it was covered in snow. It was one of the snow days that we had last year. So the sun was out. There was just this gorgeous, fresh snow covering I remember feeling really cool because my footprints are the first footprints on the new snow. And I was thinking about this. I was thinking about our church. I was kind of wrestling with just this, I'm always behind, I'm always behind, I'm always behind. And I was struck by this simple but profound thought. God has given me the perfect amount of time every day to do all that he wants me to do. He has provided the perfect amount of time in my day to do everything he wants me to do. If I feel behind, if I feel like I didn't get something done, well, I guess I wasn't supposed to do it that day. There's freedom, there's grace in hearing those wonderful truths over and over again. And I'm not saying that insight is the same thing as the scriptures. Don't hear me say that. What I'm saying is by listening to the scriptures long enough, deep enough about who I am, it changed me. And it wasn't just like snapping my fingers and now I get it and I'm never stressed out about time. That still happens. But it was a change in my heart. It was a point of transformation. And I want that for you and for you and for you. I want that for all of us. Whatever that transformation needs to look like. Maybe it's not time. Maybe it's money. Maybe money is the thing that has burdened you. Maybe it's who am I going to marry? Where's my family going to be? What are my kids going to look like? Are we going to be able to have kids? Maybe it's you're frustrated with your job. When you dwell in the scriptures, God will speak to you. And when he speaks, it isn't just words. It's life change. It's transformation. It's a pivot point in the history of our lives. Over time, we will be changed. 
And the question for us, church, is are we going to be conformed like what Paul was warning his people about? Or are we going to seek transformation? The choice is in front of us. Which one will it be? What can we do? We need some next steps. We need something practical to step into. This is the final uh, point that we'll talk about this morning, the will of God. We need to get specific about where we might be called to surrender. The text uses this phrase, the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. So this always begs the question, what's the will of God? How do we know this? The will of God, this is my favorite definition of the will of God. Take it or leave it. This comes from my buddy, Dallas Willard. The will of God is not what job you're going to take, who you're going to marry, where you're going to live. That's important. But the will of God is that you would become the kind of person whom God can empower to do his work in the world. It's about who you become. Don't hear me say your choices don't matter, but it's about who you become who God is making you to be. My friend John that took over that hospital had to work super hard, have a terrible commute, work long, long hours so people in rural communities can have access to great health care. He was doing the work of God. And God provided for him not just the ability to do his job, but the ability to be transformed. And that is my hope for us as a church. What matters most is not which job you took, it's who did you become. How have you been changed? What has been doing work in your heart over time? God's will for all his people was that we would become like Jesus by being apprenticed to him. So who are you apprenticed to? Who's teaching you the ways? Who has shown you the lay of the land in your job, in your neighborhood, in your parenting? And are you called to conform or are you called to transform? The will of God is about who we are becoming. So church, who are you becoming? How are you being changed? Do you have a guide to being changed? Yeah, you do. You've got these great statements of identity like Megan encouraged us to spend the next 21 days reflecting, drawing deeply upon these things. What does that look like? Honestly, for me, it looks like sitting on my couch in my bathrobe with a cup of coffee. There's your image for the day. It is not glamorous. It is just sitting with something simple and profound, and taking time. Read it over a bunch of different times. Journal about it. I like to write out scriptures by hand so that I just have that much more sort of connection to the text. Do whatever you need to do to step into this 21-day challenge that Megan has really given to us. Because I believe we'll be a different church on the other side of it. My friend John that took that job, at the end of all of it, I met up with him, and I asked, like, how was it? Like, what... What did you think of all that? You delayed your retirement. You kind of sacrificed a lot. And he said, it was a privilege. It was a privilege to serve those people and help make that place better. I was reminded of a quote from a friend of mine this week. That for which you sacrifice, you love more deeply. That for which you sacrifice, you love more deeply. My friend sacrificed his comfort. And he learned to love more deeply his calling And he learned to enter into that season of retirement with more gratitude, with a better eye for the world and the needs of the people around him and the skills he can bring to bless others. That for which you sacrifice, you love more deeply. That is our calling. How will we live into that this week? Will you sacrifice by joining a small group and giving up some of your time? God forbid, sitting in traffic to drive and be with other people? Yeah. 
Will you sacrifice to head down to Bellevue and be a part of what God is doing at Eastside Academy? Blessing these students on the margins, mentoring them, investing in them? Absolutely. Will we support Campus Crusade for Christ and see them reaching college students far from God at UW Bothell and at Bellevue College? Absolutely. Will we continue to partner with Young Life and see them touch kids' lives at an incredibly critical time in their lives? Yes. And will we sacrifice for that? Yes. Because we love it. And we love them. And we're loved by a God who calls us not to have to choose between conformity and transformation, but to step into his power and his grace every single day. Take this home, reflect on it, and start talking to somebody about what you're learning as you consider who you are in Christ. Would you join me?